0: Swing and a drive, deep to left center field, going, going, goodbye baseball! This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss, strike three, that's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle, oh what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now.
1: Join me now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, he is a member of the Angels Radio Network. Also works for Valley Sports West. Covers this Angels team does a really good job of it. Trent Rush, you can follow him on Twitter at Trent Rush Sports. Trent, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going today?
2: It's going well. I thought the last time uh, we interacted on social media, we already <laughs> dropped the gloves. I think that's <laughs> what the, the, the pre and post game hosts are supposed to do, right? I think uh, so. I it was a. Uh, Things, things, things have been okay. The Angels uh, have not played great baseball over the last uh, couple of months. It's been disappointing to see, but all in all, life's still going okay.
1: Well, hopefully cooler heads can prevail between you and I, and, and maybe hopefully cooler heads can prevail between these two ball clubs when they meet this weekend here up in Seattle. But, yeah, Trent, I mean, that has been the story between these two teams this year is is just the uh, animosity, I guess you could say, or or the bad blood. What was that moment like from the Angels' perspective? Because here in Seattle, obviously, we have kind of looked at it as sort of a jumping off point for this Mariners ball club. But as, you, as we look at the standings, ever since that moment, the Angels have, have faltered a little bit, or, well, they, I mean, their season has not gone as expectations, I think, have expected them to. What was that fight like from the Angels' side of things, and, and what has it been like in the week since?
2: Well, you know, it's hard to it's hard to look at that point as being any kind of a turning point for the Angels because they had really struggled so much even before that. I think that uh, there was a lot of built up frustration with that Angels club at the time, which still exists uh, to a certain point. I think when the Angels got off to the start that they had, where they were, you know, a top five team in baseball through the first six weeks of the season, um, and and then to to have the uh, you know free fall that they were in, I, I think the Angels were just you know, pulling at straws, just trying to get anything to spark some kind of energy from this team to try to turn it around. Um, and, and then when you know Mike Trout gets a fastball up and in and doesn't like that, didn't take too kindly to that. Uh, it just kind of felt like uh, that was something of like of all things, like come on, we can't afford for Mike Trout to go down right now. And I think that they probably took that personally. Um, and and you know, then we ended up seeing what unfolded after that. But I, I think a lot of it, you know. It's a, it's a turning point for the Mariners. I think less so for the Angels. I think the Angels are hoping it would could be potentially a turning point uh, for them and, and making the most of of a poor situation. But uh, you know, for the Angels, it's just been so hard getting anything going. I mean, if there's any team that could understand, I mean, it would be the Seattle Mariners, who in 2019 went through a similar thing when uh, you guys were off to such a great start to that season and and ended up finishing how you did. You know, the Angels and Mariners are the only two teams in baseball history to be 11 up and 11 down um, or 11 over 500, 11 under 500 before the all-star break in MLB history. So uh, I would think that the Mariners could relate to that kind of frustration. Uh, Unfortunately for the Angels, things just have not gotten better at any point.
1: One of those reasons why things haven't gotten better is is the absence of Mike Trout from that lineup right now, who has been out for almost a month. July 12th was the last time he appeared in a game for this ball club. What's the latest on his status? I know there was talks about him having a, a potential uh, injury that could linger for the rest of his career. He kind of downplayed that, but what's the latest with him?
2: Yeah, I think that kind of boiled down to some verbiage that maybe didn't come out right. Uh, when the athletic trainer spoke to the media, maybe a little differently, uh, than w- what the actual situation is. So Mike, Mike does have a back condition and it is something he will have to monitor just like any athlete when they suffer an injury. is something that they have to be mindful of, uh, for as long as they're playing. And then well, after that, this is no different than any kind of other injury one would deal with. Um, The thing for Mike Trout is he's working hard to get back. He has been doing a lot of core exercises. On Wednesday, he started doing rotational activities, and as long as that goes well, the next step is for him to start swinging a bat. I know he really wanted to play in this series against Seattle. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. I would think uh, he's probably a couple of weeks away. The Angels don't have a clear timeline on that. Uh, but once again, you're going to have Mike Trout missing over a month of the season uh, right here in the middle of it, which um, has been something that, again, it has been disappointing and frustrating for Mike Trout and this entire organization. I think everybody feels that.
1: Yeah, You look at Trout over the last couple of years, he's had these lingering injuries that have kept him out for an extended period of time. It's really been, what, about the last three seasons. Uh, is there worry that this may be something that – Keeps him from realizing his fullest potential as a baseball player, or or keeps him from, you know, kind of reaching those those heights of the greatest of the great. I mean, obviously, at his very best, he is one of the greatest to ever play baseball. Um, but is there kind of a worry that maybe he's looking at like maybe a Ken Griffey Jr. like career, where we all know what the talent is like, but unfortunately, injuries may have have taken their toll on him.
2: You know, I think Mike Trout spending as much time with Albert Pools as he did, he got to see milestones like 3,000 hits and 600 home runs. Shoot, Albert's approaching 700. Um, I think that when Mike Trout looks at that and then looks at his baseball reference page and sees all the MVPs and all the accolades and all the incredible numbers and and the great OPS and, and the great averages, and then he looks at his home run totals, which are great in their own right on I mean, a season-by-season basis. Uh, but the idea that Mike Trout would get to 600 home runs seems like a huge reach. He's not going to get to 3,000 hits. I mean, he lost a prime year in, in 2017 when he broke his thumb. He lost almost an entire season in uh, 2019 with the calf injury, and, or excuse me, uh, 2021 with the calf injury. And, of course, 2020 was a lost prime year due to COVID. So you look at those, that, those are three key prime years for Mike Trout to be able to put up the massive career numbers, um, and he, he lost those seasons. So we're not going to end up seeing Mike Trout with those you know, mega career numbers. So maybe that does have an impact on his legacy down the road. I would think that in the moment, the only thing Mike Trout cares about right now is winning. And the Angels haven't been doing that, and I know that that weighs on him. I know that that is frustrating to him, and I know that you know, this team is working every day to try to turn that around. And, and it's hard to think about the individual stuff. Mike really doesn't, anyway. But I think for people like us, Curtis, that can look at you know the big picture and what's Mike Trout's legacy going to be um, right now. Even if even if Mike Trout you know is able to continue to have you know three or four more prime years left um it definitely looks like we're, we're headed down the ken griffey jr path just in terms of total numbers i mean griffey put up monster numbers but um what it could have been could have been so much more and i think that we'll end up saying that about trout that even if the rest of his career he's healthy just with the three years essentially that he's missed
1: trent rush of the angels radio network and Bally sports west joining us here on extra innings this evening and and Trent, I want to talk about the other unicorn in the Angels lineup. It just feels like there's an embarrassment of riches, which kind of goes to the confusion as to why the Angels haven't had as much success on the field over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years down there in Anaheim. But Shohei Otani is is just, he's the one guy in baseball I look at, like whatever he's doing, I have to stop and watch what he is doing, whether it be on the mound or at the plate. What's it like getting to watch him every single day? Does it ever get old to you?
2: It's truly phenomenal. And I hope it never gets old. And I hope that baseball fans continue to appreciate what Shohei Otani's doing. You know, it doesn't matter what uniform he's wearing. I think if you're a baseball fan, you can watch Shohei and appreciate what's happening here and, and not get jaded by it because what he is doing is truly phenomenal. I mean, the fact that on any given night, you know, as the team's starting pitcher, he can also go help his own cause in a meaningful way as being the best hitter in the lineup. I mean, Shohei Otani, is the right with Mike Trout out. It's crystal clear he's the Angels' best hitter and he's the Angels' best hit uh, best pitcher. So the fact that he's able to do that on a consistent nightly basis and the run he was on through June into July, he had six straight starts with an ERA under point five. He was striking out 10 a night. He did it six straight outings. I mean, it was as dominant of a pitching performance over the course of six weeks as anything that we have seen in years in baseball. And it was also being done by the Angels' best hitter on a team that was in a massive losing funk and without Mike Trout and no protection in the lineup. I, I, I cannot begin to describe Shohei Ohtani uh, with enough uh, enough hype because it doesn't match. Otani is better than anything I could possibly say about him. Uh, you kind of run out of uh, hyperbole because he is he is just that good. So I'm really impressed by Shohei Otani on a daily basis. This guy's a gamer, and this is another guy that all he cares about is winning. Like you know, Wednesday night the Angels lose three one to Oakland. Otani goes five and two thirds, gave up a homer, um, but. After the game, you know, the Angels didn't lose that game because of Shohei Ohtani. They lost that game because they didn't put up runs on the board. They didn't score. And Ohtani is sitting there blaming himself. I mean, that's just him. That's how he goes about it. So um, you're really impressed by the mental makeup of Ohtani as well. We've never seen anything like this before. The, the Babe Ruth comps don't work because Ruth was never this good of a hitter and this good of a pitcher at the same time. Um, Otani's in a class of his own.
1: Yeah, it's just a uh, just we're we're so lucky, all baseball fans to get to watch, and we're also so lucky as baseball fans over the last however so many odd years that Vince Scully was the voice of the Dodgers. Now I know you cover the Angels, which uh, you know there's a rivalry between the Angels and Dodgers, but you also uh, you're in Southern California. Uh, just what kind of impact did Vince Scully have on you as a broadcaster, and just on the Southern California region?
2: In Southern California. Vin Scully is truly iconic and it's been neat to see the national coverage and understand his impact across the country and really across the world. Um, And I know that he is synonymous with Dodgers baseball. To me, he's just synonymous baseball growing up, watching the Dodgers on TV all the time. I grew up in Orange County. I I grew up watching the angels, um, but I, I watched the Dodgers for Vin because I knew broadcasting was something I wanted to be a part of. So even though that wasn't my favorite team, as a kid, I, I, Vin was my favorite broadcaster, and I wanted I watched games simply because Vin was on the call. Um, what he has meant to the game, I think more than anything else, as great of a broadcaster as he is and as um, eloquently as he spoke and the grace he went about his business on the air, just a true class gentleman. You know, Part of the, the freeway series rivalry of the Angels and the Dodgers, I've had uh, a handful of encounters with Vin, and, and they've been life-changing because he is – that kind that thoughtful he pays attention to uh, so many things around him so many people around him and everybody tries to get uh to vin they did when he came by the ballpark he'd come he'd, he'd still do games at the big a even when he wasn't traveling uh, he would still come uh, to anaheim and and everybody wanted to get a piece of him everybody wanted to see him and you know what god darn it he took time to spend it with each and every person that came by he was an incredibly classy gentleman. He handled his business on the air with great grace. He spoke eloquently. He was highly intelligent in so many different ways. He, and he also was the best ever at contextualizing baseball. And he'll tell stories from World War II about a general that uh, did this and be able to tie it into baseball. I think we are all better and smarter as people for having watched and listened to Vin for so many years. Um, not to mention his impact on the game of baseball. It's, it's – um, this has been a tough day. The Angels honored him before the game yesterday. Um, and, and it, you know, it's not like – there is no rivalry with, with Vin Scully. I mean, this is, it's nothing but admiration and respect from, I would think, every team, but especially in Southern California. So many Angel fans were like me. They would still watch Dodger games for Vin because he was just that meaningful to this area.
1: He touched so many of us baseball fans across the country and across the world. Trent Rush of Bally Sports West and the Angels Radio Network. I really appreciate you joining me uh, for this conversation. And, uh, look, I won't throw at you this week if you don't throw at me. (laughs) I I, I look forward to uh, seeing your coverage this weekend as the Mariners take on the Angels.
2: Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, hey, look, I'm not looking for a fight. If it comes my way, I'm not going to back down. But Curtis, I, I think that I think that the cooler heads will prevail this week. I appreciate right. you having me.
1: And speaking of those Angels, Friday at T Mobile Park, it'll be a sing along fireworks night presented by T Mobile. Fans will be able to sing along to their favorite tunes while enjoying a midsummer fireworks spectacular after the game against the Angels concludes. Jeff Patson, one of the prominent insiders in the game of baseball, he joined Mike Salk earlier this week to talk about the Mariners trade deadline. What did he make of their acquisition of Luis Castillo and all the other moves that they made? let's take a listen to that conversation next. This is Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Extra Innings, Innings. inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station.
1: Welcome back into Extra Innings. Curtis Rogers with you for the next 45 minutes here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. There are plenty of trades made throughout the deadline. The Mariners making their biggest splash a couple days before August 2nd. With the addition of Luis Castillo, they made a handful of moves on August 2nd, picking up infielder Jake Lamb, backup catcher Kirk Casale, and also reliever slash starter slash however you want to use him, Matt Boyd, formerly of the Detroit Tigers and San Francisco Giants. A couple local kids thrown in there. Jake Lamb as well from Bishop Blanchett High School and UW. So there, there's a lot of names thrown at you on that day, on August 2nd. How does Jeff Passan view the Mariners after their trade deadline haul that they acquired, well, Luis Castillo obviously being the big fish in that? How does he think they did? Well, he joined Mike Salk as he always does every single Wednesday at 7.30 right here on Seattle Sports Station. Let's take a listen to their conversation.
3: I thought the Mariners had a good, not great deadline. And good is okay because I, I think the great deadlines – this time, honestly, were, you know, they were the sellers, frankly, and the Padres, but we'll, we'll get to them a little later. Um, prices were really high. That's why a number of guys who I expected to move didn't move. And I, I don't know if there was a higher price paid for a player than what the Mariners paid for Luis Castillo. Again, that's okay, because ultimately the the Mariners have a goal, a mandate, uh, a vision, and that is to get into the playoffs. And I've seen far too many teams not actually go for it, just sort of do this half-measure type. No, the Mariners don't do half-measures. They were fully in on getting to the playoffs this season and setting themselves up really nice for next year, too. And that's why they were willing to give up Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte and Levi Stout and Andrew Moore, because that is what they need to do right now, they believe, to take this next step.
4: How good is Castillo?
3: When Luis Castillo is at his best, he is a number one starter. Like that's the stuff, right? Um, he's got true ace stuff, and he can go deep into games. He throws hard. His changeup is gross. Um, good breaking ball too. So, and and I listen. I don't throw around the number one label lightly. Like that's that's not something. I call players because there are so few of them, but most of the time, you know, he's a solid two, and and that's again like calling somebody a solid number two pitcher is a huge compliment because there it, just aren't that many. Well, them, I was going to say right? how many
4: how many number ones do you think exist in the league? Roughly, is it ten or fifteen? No, it's less. Less. Oh, okay. So when you're saying that he is, when he's at his best, is number one, you're saying that he is, when he's at his best, a top five to ten pitcher in the big leagues.
3: Ten, yeah. Okay. Like, like if, you, if everybody is throwing his best game, Castillo's stuff, just like the pure stuff, the command, the whole package, is like a back-end top ten guy.
4: It's pretty good. I mean that's why you really give good. up, yeah. I mean, and 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 so then, what is a rotation, a top end of the rotation of Castillo, Ray, Gilbert? What does that look like in a playoff series?
3: Pretty scary for the other team, right?
4: I would certainly think I mean, so. It, I mean, like that's what they're it, setting it, this it, up for, right?
3: Right, like that. That's exactly it. Isn't that the purpose of this whole thing? To you, you look at. This rotation for the next two years, and you add Kirby in there, and you know I don't know if it's Marco Gonzalez, I don't know if it's Chris Flexen, whoever or whatever. Um, the the arms that the Mariners have gotten are pretty nasty, and you know we can we can talk about Juan Soto a little bit here, because the Mariners, by the way, they they didn't have enough to go out and get him. Like they they were essentially told that by Washington pretty early on, but had they put in George Kirby and or Logan Gilbert, could they have maybe?
2: Yeah. Well, how uh,
4: Jeff? How how different was the package that Castillo went for from the package that Soto went for? How much more did the Nationals get for Soto?
3: Um. I mean, what the Nationals got for Soto and Josh Bell is the biggest prospect package that has ever been traded. It's not an exaggeration either. Like, it's uh, just in terms of perception throughout the industry about how good guys are, there has never been the future talent traded that got traded yesterday. Wow.
4: So is a pretty significant difference. By, by
3: the way, by the way, I uh, listen, you, I I have occasionally, not not very often, but I've occasionally been accused of being like prisoner of the moment <laughs> or dude when I so trade goes down right before the noon sports center starts yesterday. And I'm sitting there with Tim Kirchin. And, and Tim Kirchin, you know, the encyclopedia, right? The godfather, the, the historian, somebody who knows more about baseball than just about anyone out there. Like anyone, period. And Tim goes, this is the biggest trade I've ever seen. <laughs> now, when Kirchhen... First off, when his voice cracks, you know it's important. Um, Or or you just know it's Tuesday. uh, (laughs) When he's calling it the biggest trade I've ever seen, that means something. And And I think it was big in terms of both volume, but also in terms of just the caliber of player going both ways.
4: Yeah, it, it it it's good to hear because I think there is a reaction among some Mariner fans of Wow! If you were going to give up that much for Castillo, why didn't you just go even farther and get Soto? And, and yeah, it's not man, the same it, thing.
3: It was it was no, yeah. it was way better. Like they gave up essentially like five Arroyo or Barnes.
4: Yeah, that's a big big deal. So good, I, I think people here should be glad to hear that. I also wanted to ask you, because the the other sort of frustration, I think, and probably the reason you said good, not great, is that for a team that doesn't often score more than two or three runs, they didn't really add an impact bat. Uh, Jake Lamb was about it. Were there any impact bats that moved, any bats that moved? Not guys that didn't move, but guys that did move that you say, oh, the Mariners probably could have or should have gone after that person? Hmm. Trey Mancini is sort of the one name that I'm like, eh. I I would have liked to it. have seen that's, Trey Mancini well, here.
3: So that's that's the first name that came to my head, but don't do, don't don't they have a Trey Mancini coming in Mitch Haniger? Right.
4: I mean and I think they're betting on that. Like I I was trying yeah. to come up with names that moved. I would have liked Ian Happ, and there's some other guys around that would have I think helped improve this team, but none of them moved. Yep.
3: Yeah, and no. You're you're hundred percent right and I, I think, you know, I think spending as strongly as they did and as early as they did during deadline week, um, it, it didn't it didn't put the Mariners on the defensive, but it made them choosy, right? Like they they were going to go out and get a pitcher. If it wasn't Castillo, it might have been Montas. If it wasn't Montas. You know, maybe they would have overpaid on Carlos Rodon. Um, they, they, the mandate was get a starter and not just any starter, but a real yeah. dude. And you know, as good as as nice as Radon would have been, because he is a better pitcher than Luis Castillo, and I, you know, at his peak, he is better, and that's. That is no insult to Castillo. That's just how good Radon can be. Um, the the extra year of control is the thing here. Like, the, the Mariners are very good at looking at now and future. And they're now, it's, it's imperative, but their future, I think, is brighter. Because I think next year, when they have that rotation, same one that they're going to be trotting out in the playoffs this year they're also going to have a better offense and there's also going to be at least one other impact player there whether it's via free agency or trade Uh, it, it just feels like 23 if you know if 22 was the year that the Mariners grew up 23 is is going to be the year that they really take off.
1: Trade deadline acquisition is among the biggest in franchise history, maybe the biggest in franchise history. So, why not bring on somebody who has had the experience of covering him for quite some time? See Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic. He has covered the Cincinnati Reds for a number of years. He joined Bump and Stacy earlier this week on 710 on Seattle Sports Station and we'll take a listen to some of the best of what he had to tell Bump and Stacy about covering Castillo and what the Mariners can expect from their new rotation anchor. That comes your way after the break right here on Extra Innings on the Mariners Radio Network and Seattle Sports Station.
0: You're listening to Extra Innings. Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station.
1: All sorts of new things going on around T-Mobile Park as they ramp up for the 2023 All-Star. One of the new attractions is going to be across the street at the site of the old Pyramid Brewery. The grand opening date for Hatback Barn Grill and Steelheads Alley, the new Soto restaurant taproom concepts uh, opening across the street from T Mobile Park. Both venues will be open to the public at 4 p.m. on August 23rd, 2022, with an official grand opening celebration. Now, the community is invited to the grand opening of both of those venues and will have the first chance to try the restaurant's elevated menu. Also, all of the drinks that are going to be on tap, Hatback, will offer such local favorites like Pike Brewing Company, Georgetown Brewing Company, all at Steelhead's Alley. You've got all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, you've got the Mightier Brewing Company. They'll provide some of their popular brews, including the NBC Pale Ale, Double Play Lager, and Black Stripe Coconut Porter Those attending the celebration will have the opportunity to win free hatbacks, Steelheads Alley, and Mariners Branded Gear gift certificates and a VIP game day viewing experience for eight people. That is August 23rd at 4 p.m. Something else new you will see at T-Mobile Park over the season's final two months. That would be Luis Castillo, the Mariners' new ace starting pitcher. We saw him have an incredible outing yesterday against the Yankees in his Mariners debut. What makes Luis Castillo so good? Well... Bump and Stacy earlier this week visited with Reds reporter C. Trent Rosecrans to get the lowdown on the Mariners' new ace of the staff.
5: Mariners fans were given a lot of excitement over the weekend with the acquisition of Luis Castillo. Tell us uh, everything we need to know about just where he is right now in the season. I'm assuming totally healthy, good to go, and like just crushing it.
6: Yeah, pretty much. There you go. What did you need me for? <laughs> <I'm> um, done. <laughs> no. uh, Luis is, uh, he's he's really, really good, um, and he's been pitching well. You know, he's going to start over, he's going to start in Yankee Stadium here. I'm beat the Yankees there. Um, it's, you know, every five days, it's been a joy to watch him, and uh, it's going to be a little tougher for me on my job to not have that every five days, but. I still get paid. Um, but he's, uh, he's just, he's just a great pitcher. He loves the game. He's, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was on, I was talking to Seattle people before the season, when you guys got a Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker and just raved about them as people, Luis Castillo is right there with those guys. Um, very similar to, to, to a Eugenio where, Everybody loves him. Um, he is a guy that um, just radiates positivity. You can't tell how he did uh, by his demeanor. Um, he he is just even keeled and unflappable, and that's that's what you want. I mean, he's 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 a guy that's uh, you know first game starter in the World Series. Mm-hmm.
7: Trent, you mentioned uh, the Winker deal, Suarez, and now you got Julio Castillo. How much does relationships go into this? Granted, you know the the M sent a bunch of prospects over there to Cincinnati to get Castillo, but because they've done business before, do you think that helped uh, this whole situation?
6: Well, oh, who hasn't done <laughs> who hasn't done business with Depoto? Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. But yeah, I mean, like they they scouted um, the, the, the system pretty heavily, um, with the trade earlier this year and, and, and really knew what they were getting. Um, we're pretty invested in, in what, uh, Seattle had to offer. So I, I think that did help. Um, and in the end, it was just a, a deal that was too good for the Reds to pass up, uh, with all things considered. And so it's, uh, it was, it's, I think both teams were really, really happy that night.
5: Uh, I was going to ask what you thought of the return the Reds got.
6: Um, whew, I, I thought it was it was great. Um, you know, I had you know when when I was getting a text from somebody talking about how good Moore is, and he was the fourth guy, um, like a scout just like Moore a lot. I'm like, oh well, there you go, because. <laughs> You know, you get some guys who can really, really hit. And uh, that's that's what they needed. Um, the, the Reds have a lot of shortstops in their system, but you never have too many shortstops and you never have too many starting pitchers.
7: What would you say is Castile's uh, best pitch? We got a lot of sliders in this rotation right now. Sliders uh, and four seams. Uh, what do you like most out of Castile?
6: You know, traditionally, it has been his changeup. His changeup is his... Good of pitches there is in the game this year, um, you know. So, so I always every spring I ask people like I ask every catcher in camp what's the best pitch you caught. And for the last couple of years, it's been a debate between Louis' changeup and his sinker and his two seamers. And you know, not much different anymore. Except this year during the season, his four seamer has been his best pitch. So you're having a legitimate argument about those three, um, and, and slider's good. It's just that the the changeup is probably not biting as much as it has in the past, but that four seamer is is playing different than it ever has in his career, and um, he's <laughs> I mean, he's just been he's just been lights out
5: uh obviously folks in baseball have really really enjoyed watching him i mean i'm not a cincinnati reds fan and i still know how great he is and and how wonderful a season he's been having but um i did have a friend who doesn't know a ton about baseball say well wait a minute then why did the reds trade him and i started explaining well sometimes teams are at different parts in their development but i mean how would you answer that question for someone who said hey i like the mariners but why did the reds trade him
6: uh yeah i mean it's a it's a Good question. Um, you know, he will be a free agent after the 2023 season. The Reds aren't good in 2022 and they don't look like they're going to be much better in 2023. So, to maximize what he is worth to someone else, they traded him to somebody else and got some pieces so that they can be better in 2024, 2025, 2026, etc.
7: You mentioned that uh, Castillo is pretty much even kill when it comes to his emotions what's he like in a locker room does he does he let loose a little bit leadership style what's he like oh, he is
6: just a guy always smiling um, you know everybody loves Louie it's it's really true they just everybody enjoys Louie in the clubhouse he is a he's a guy that gets along with everyone um, always has a smile always has people laughing. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> um, I, I was texting with Jesse Winker the other night and he said, is going to fit right in here. So, and, and Jesse would know.
5: Hey, speaking of Jesse Winker, we had you on when that trade uh, first happened and, and Winker and Suarez landed in Seattle. And um, both of them have been so fun to watch. I think Jesse earned a ton of Mariners uh, fans' hearts after that fight <laughs> in Anaheim. But um, he has been having kind of a, a down year for him. I know that mm-hmm. the Mariners don't play in a hitter-friendly park, but have you seen those kinds of ebbs and flows in his game?
6: You've seen it occasionally. Um, You know, the one thing with Jesse is, is he will always keep that approach and and make sure that it is. uh, He's doing what he needs to do with his approach. And I, I I really, I think it's going to come around. I don't ever long-term. I never really worry about Jesse Winker. And um, I'll, I'll stick by that, even though I know uh, so far this year, he has not been great, Um, but I I believe in Jesse and um I'm really happy to see Gino bouncing back this year.
7: Trent, we are obviously excited about the Mariners. Um what seven games over five hundred. Looks like they're making a the push for the playoffs, then you acquire Castillo. What's the perception of the Mariners from the outside, right? It's easy for us to stay positive and, and to see what this team can be. What are people saying about the Mariners across the, the league?
3: Well,
6: I'm in Cincinnati. Well, I'm technically in Miami right now, but in Cincinnati, <laughs> the Mariners are a lot of people's second favorite team because of <laughs> they were already fans of the Mariners because of Jesse and A. Eugenio, and and so now that Luis Castillo is there, I, I've seen a lot of people um, excited about the Mariners. Um, you know, <laughs> Julio Rodriguez is just amazing. Um, I, I think a lot of people are just kind of looking at it like, oh, the Mariners are coming, um, and and the fact that they made this deal kind of just adds to it. it. It says this is not a team that's looking to the future. This is a team that wants to win now, and they have, you know, they have a pretty good chance to do that.
5: Hey, have you covered uh, Luis Castillo for the entirety of his career in Cincinnati? Uh, a big league
6: career, yeah, yeah. Big league career.
5: When did you realize, you know, whether in person, whether through interviews or whether just watching his play, like, oh, this guy's different?
6: You know, he came up early. It was – and you're like, this guy's pretty good. He's got some good stuff. And then – it's funny. I was thinking about this. I was actually in Miami um, for the All-Star game, when the All-Star game was here in Miami. And we were out to dinner – on I think the Saturday before and the Reds were playing the Diamondbacks and I was on the TV and this was his rookie year. And I saw him against Paul Goldschmidt and it was the change up and Goldschmidt was just fooled. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> you, uh, you don't see Goldschmidt look like that very often. And he did. And so it was, um, I think that's where it was. It was that, that first season, you're like, oh, wow, uh, this guy's this guy's pretty good.
7: Castillo's going to make his first start for the Mariners on Wednesday against the Yankees. I was telling my co-host, Stace, I go, look, I can't expect this man to win the game by himself, but this is the reason why we brought him here so we can compete against the big boys. What should we expect out of Castillo on Wednesday? Uh, you should expect him
6: to be all smiles, go out there, and shove for seven innings.
5: All right, well, then I will. Yeah, in that go. case, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for making us feel uh, a bit better here in Seattle about Jesse Winker, too. Again, a lot of folks like him. Uh, he's he's not been quite as hot, not had quite as hot a bat as he did with Cincinnati, but it's it's good to hear some of your faith and you co-signing on – on uh, on him being great because the Mariners badly, badly needed if they want to break this drought. He is the Athletic C. Trent Rosecrans. Um, also, uh, he is covered the the Reds and covered Castillo. So if you Google him, if you look up his stuff in the Athletic, you can still find a lot of great coverage on not only Winker and Suarez, but on Castillo if you want to do some reading back and, and learn a bit more about these three Mariners. All right, thanks so much Taylor for taking Kamel. the time. And Taylor Trammell. And Taylor Trammell. He's our
7: guy. <laughs> he's great. He's, he's, he's a, a great fan guy. favorite.
5: Oh, my God. He is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, he is the athletic C. Trent Rosecrans. Thanks so much.
6: No problem.
1: One segment to go here on this Thursday night. You know how we wrap it up here on Extra Innings. We go around Major League Baseball. We get some of the biggest headlines with a round of pepper. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Extra Innings, Innings. inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station.
1: Really appreciate you making Extra Innings a part of your Thursday evening right here on Seattle Sports Station. As I've said, make sure you're downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com, but this is how we wrap up every single edition of Extra Innings by taking a look at some of the biggest headlines in the game of baseball. Some of the craziest stories, some of the wildest happenstances. How about Jordan Alvarez in his game for the Astros against the Red Sox on Wednesday? Getting an extra strike, yeah. A four-strike at-bat. Now, how did this happen? Well, no one noticed. Not a single person noticed between the Red Sox, the Astros, the umpiring crew, the broadcasting crew, both dugouts. No one noticed except for the old MLB at-bat app or the MLB game day app what have you which saw four strikes get thrown to Jordan Alvarez. Luckily that fourth strike was not hit for a home run, was not driven in a run or anything. It was a ground out to second base so nothing was taken advantage of because of the extra strike. But how do you let that happen in 2022 with so many cameras and so many eyeballs on each pitch? You just, how does that happen? Umpire Jim Wolf, uh was behind the dish for that. Luckily, like I said, Alvarez grounded out, but it's 2022. You have one job as an umpire behind the dish, or a couple jobs, obviously you've got to, Call balls and strikes first off, but you got to keep track of balls and strikes, too. Was his clicker not working? You can't click a fourth time. I've held one of those clickers. It only goes to three. Jeez. You can't let that happen. Bring on the robot umps. I'm I'm serious. I'm I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. it's time for robot umps. Elsewhere in baseball, obviously the most famous card is the T206 Honus Wagner, which we've seen sell for millions and millions of dollars in the past. There have been a few dusted off that have sold for a huge, huge dollar amount. Well, that dollar amount, was a record was set today. As the T206 Honus Wagner sold for a record $7.25 million in a private sale eclipsing the previous high set last year of $6.6 million. The card that was sold today was graded a 2 out of 10. Last year's was a 3 out of 10. Card grading scales are based on quality, based on uh, you know folds, based on wear and tear, what have you. A 2 out of 10, not great. Obviously, it's a really old card. It's been around for over a century, but... million for this very rare Honus Wagner card. I, I will say this. On one hand, I like that the trading card industry has exploded. I like that there is a popularity for it again because there was a time, I would say, when I was a teenager, early college, where baseball cards just were not the cool thing anymore. And I think maybe it had to do with Everybody going back into quarantine and working from home, you're looking for things to do around your house, and everybody dusts off their, their old cards, and they wonder, you know, what, what kind of value is there with this? And we saw in 2020 the trading card industry really skyrocket, really explode in popularity again. And while I like that it's popular again, unfortunately it has priced out a lot of kids. Because every time I go to Target, every time I go to Fred Meyer, every time I go to a grocery store that has a card aisle, you do not see cards available. And there are signs that say limit X number of packs per purchase. Because people will just race to the card aisle as soon as they get a restock, wherever it is, in stores. And it almost leaves kids with nothing to to. Trade all these guys that are looking for the next fine, the next big dollar amount on these cards, they will shell out any and all cash to buy these boxes, to buy these packs. And, and I'll say this as a kid growing up, there was nothing better than, than getting the money you got from either your allowance or, or, or from doing chores or what have you going to the store and getting a couple of packs and seeing who you got. And it didn't even have to be like a ton of cards. It could be like you know, a couple of 10 packs of cards. And that made your that made your day, that made your week, you just going through, thumbing through. That was the beauty of, of, of trading cards. But now, man, I would hate to be a kid and wanting to get in on the card collecting game. You just can't afford it. Kids can't afford it, and that, to me, is, is rather unfortunate. So, do your part, leave some card packs for the kids. That's my PSA. Cubs and Cardinals have been tabbed for a two-game series in London during the 2023 season. This will be the first time Major League Baseball has returned to London since the 2019 season, which saw the Red Sox and Yankees play. If I recall correctly, that series between the Yankees and the Red Sox was some of the highest-scoring baseball we will ever see Uh I, I do believe both games in London I think both games were just ridiculous in terms of scoring. Uh, I want to say both yeah 17-13 was the first game and the second game was 12 to 8. The Yankees swept both games over the Red Sox a classic 17-13 matchup It was played in London uh, I believe on the on a cricket ground which is, you know, I wonder what the dimensions were that day to cause a 17-13 game. It was at London Stadium in front of a crowd of nearly 60,000 people. Uh, get this, the box score from that game, the Yankees jumped out to a 6-0 lead in the top of the first inning. The Red Sox countered with six of their own in the bottom of the first. So, uh, yeah, the Yankees and Red Sox back in 2019 gave some pretty wild Baseball That first game lasted nearly five hours in a nine-inning game. It was a four-hour and 42-minute game. Hopefully the Cubs and Cardinals can at least uh, give us a, a sub-three-hour game. I think that's the goal in all this. By the way, when the Mariners played the Yankees this, this last week, how many of you were worried that we would see a four-hour game? Because Yankees baseball has never been one to uh, go in short order. They've always been one to play the longest games possible, And uh, I was surprised that we did not see any games that went, you know, four and a half, nearly five hours in that three-game series. By the way, Major League Baseball's new collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association calls for more international games. We'll see a London game in 2024 and 2026. We'll see a game in Paris, France in 2025. And then an annual game in Mexico City, or games, I should say, from 2023 to 2026 an opener in Asia in 2024, where that is in Asia remains to be seen, and then an opener in Tokyo in 2025. So we're going to see a lot more international games get played over the course of the next three or four seasons. But also the big story in baseball this week was the passing of Vince Scully, the legendary Dodgers broadcaster, frankly the voice of baseball, somebody that had been around the game since predating the Dodgers move to Los Angeles. He was calling Brooklyn Dodgers games. He was in the booth for LA for 67 seasons. I mean, just an absurd amount of longevity from Vince Scully. And just anybody that has been around the game of baseball, you know how incredible he was as a broadcaster. You know how amazing his calls were. And just... His ability to draw you in and make it feel like he's only talking to you and and not just talking to thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of listeners at a time, but specifically you and, and make you feel like a friend and make you feel like somebody that he viewed as, as very important. As he said in, in one of his many, many sign-offs, uh, you know, the listener was more important to him, even though the the listener may have felt like he was the most important thing that night. And uh, just the amount of of outpouring over the last couple of week or the last couple of days, I should say, we heard from from Trent Rush, who is in the Southern California area. Uh, just an amazing, amazing life lived by Vince Scully and and everybody in baseball, everybody in sports just outpouring their support for the Dodgers and for the Scully family. And and I'd leave you tonight here on extra innings with Vince Scully's final sign off from his final game broadcasted as the Dodgers play-by-play announcers. It's from the 2016 season Um, signing off from the booth and, and really just signing off from, from us all and, and, can't thank him enough for all that he did for the game of baseball
8: you know friends so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67 year career in baseball and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family and now all i can do is tell you what i wish for you may god give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be.